Hi, this is Sedge Thompson. Welcome to this special audio highlights podcast from West Coast Live. For more information about our shows and other guests and podcasts, wcl.org. My next guest is an actor, a director, and a writer, although writing is more a struggle for him than the directing and the acting, he will readily admit. He has a degree in, uh, in directing from the University of Massachusetts at Amherst, and since then has performed in many motion pictures, including Sleepless in Seattle and Independence Day, where he played the president. He has also been in David Lynch films, and directors have been attracted to his everyman good looks, as well as a certain quality in his eyes. He, however, has also been attracted to the playwright uh, Edward Albee, and has performed in The Goat and many other plays. He is currently at the Magic Theater, where he is directing a play he has created over the past three years called Expedition Six, which is set amongst a stage set with trapeze and music and the words found from NASA astronauts and from American politicians. It's the story of two astronauts and a cosmonaut who get stranded in the space station at the time of the Columbia shuttle vaporization and also at the time of shock and awe in Iraq. Will you please welcome Bill Pullman, creator of Expedition 6. How do you do? Nice to see you. The other night I had a chance to watch you working with the the cast of this uh, production uh, and was uh, amazed at seeing these actors recite lines while swinging around on trapezes, the effect of which is to make all the actors and actresses look weightless. <laughs> yeah, I love, I hope uh, it feels free from gravity and uh, they don't vaporize. That word, vaporize, is <laughs> what you, you just use. I will, but that's presumably what happened. It's a very, yeah, that was what struck me, um, you know, at the time when uh, it was a Saturday morning in February, February 1st, 2003, when, the, when we lost the Columbia, and, uh, and I, I keep looking for words, uh, you know, and I'm curious about all the words. Some people call it flame out, and uh, the destruction, the loss, the vaporization is because it really was a, it was that kind of uh, elemental things happen when you're trying to explore beyond Earth. I remember that day well, and, and I opened the show with a, a, a set of paragraphs from absolutely Cherry Garrard, who was an Antarctic explorer in, in 1922, and he talked about going on the worst journey in the world, and he talked about the thrill of of exploration, that intellectual passion to go, and that, and that if you are an explorer, uh, it doesn't matter if all you want is a penguin's egg. If that's your prize, it matters too who you who you go out sledging with. I mean, those are the ones who will understand that effort. And to me, that was a parallel with those astronauts who knew the dangers of what they were doing, but were compelled and and drawn to that world. Yeah, yeah, they. Uh uh, they compartmentalize quite a bit with their scientific approach to trying to, you know, make it all come together. But then I remember reading that one of the astronauts on the Columbia, Dave Brown, had intimations that he wouldn't come back and talked to several friends about it. Um, he was a former acrobat in a circus 
and then became a scientist and explorer. I mean, they're fascinating to me. And these two Americans that were in Expedition 6, Ken Bowersax and Don Pettit, are just exemplary people and, uh, you know, inspiring in, in, in a lot of ways. Though I only imagined them for four years before I finally met them about two weeks ago. And uh, they measured up and went beyond my expectations. What what drew you to their their stories? I mean, part of it is the is the omens. There's a lot in the in the in the play about omens, but there's also something too about the perspective they have of 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 the of the earth. There's a scene of uh, very dramatic of shock and awe going on. I wonder if it's it, it refreshed my memory of that horrid time and this long battle that we have been in in the Middle East. Yeah, yeah. I think a, uh, they were, um, you know, I imagined what it would be like to be up in space, you know, uh, looking down the farthest centuries of the human race in a way, looking back at Earth at a time when it was in real turmoil, the fear level was really high, and, uh, and anticipations of what was going to happen, and how do you do deal with fear, you know, and, and all cultures on Earth have, and have ways of dealing with it, and we as individuals have ways of dealing with it. We rely on belief systems and all that, but you know, and omens are a way of consulting yourself. You know, you say, Oh, this is a sign, you know, and the loss of the Columbia was a, a sign to many people in the Middle East that uh, Allah did not favor the West, that this was going to be something because it blew up over Texas, George Bush's home state, and pieces fell on Palestine, Texas. It had the first Israeli astronaut aboard, Ilan Ramon. Had a had a joint Palestinian um, uh, Israeli uh, science experiment, and you know all of those things were factors that were you know out of fear. People were drawn to the, and also, you know, in terms of the West, to our fears about what it what uh, you know what 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 is that culture? Why do they hate us? Um, will they ever? Uh, be people that we talk to and have, you know, that whole uh, kind of just demonizing of what what that culture was. So it must have taken your breath away to realize that there were six hundred thousand people in Baghdad cheering the the loss of the shuttle. Yeah, I th- there's a side of me that understands human nature is hard for me to predict, and I, you know, but I I I, I was stunned. Yeah, I t- I, I just didn't know what words to use. So in a way, I, uh, I, and there was all this stream of data of what was going on at that time. You know, you're reading about what uh, preemptive strike. I thought, what, what is this? Is this part of uh, our country policy? Uh, when did this come from? I don't, you know, and so you're reading and you're reading and all this data, it kind of makes me think of Paul's recycling the salmon bones or something. I wanted to get the salmon bones and just kind of mix them up a little bit and see if I could do a tea reading above the whole thing, you know. And you carried around material that you found, transcripts. It's a, it's, you, you take people's actual words and you've, you've put it together over three, four years of, of work. Yeah, off and on. I mean, I've had a few other things I had to do. It's kind of like a little whittling project, you know. But I do. I have a black uh, knapsack that's just full and ridiculously heavy of uh, stuff I just keep throwing in there. And, uh, but I, you know, and I kind of get, uh, it's a way of kind of discovery for me as a director, you know, to, uh, 
see things that I don't understand and I put it in there anyway and then I look to try to understand it in the process of staging it and collaborating with these lot of, lot of really talented people. The eight actors are really amazing. They're trained in low-flying trapeze, which is kind of an unusual skill. It's not like circus is hung from two points. This is from one point, so it rotates and moves. It's kind of a... It's very uh, the you know more zenny of the not acrobatic not not the gymnastic kind of thing but uh, much more um, kind of graceful poetic dance maybe or something and uh, they've helped a lot to help me understand this stuff and then now I'm working with great collaborators at the Magic and half the cast is from uh, uh, from San Francisco so we've had new input from um, people who you know really bring a lot to it. What kind of uh do you go to school for a couple of years to specialize in low trapeze? Well, these people in Denver were trained as part of an MFA training program called the National Theater Conservatory. And they, you know, many acting programs use different physical disciplines. Some people, you know, use Tai Chi and others, other things. But they use this low-flying trapeze, this guy Bob Davidson, who uh, kind of, in a way, kind of pioneered the style that, that, uh, and I went up there, and I, uh, they invited me to come up to a workshop, and I met them, and I saw that low-flying trapeze, and I remembered my fat hanging file of information about space, and I thought maybe something, we can mix this up and see what happens. And the, over the course of the time, was, was Iraq always part of the, the mix? Did you fold that in at some point? Yeah, I think it was that perfect storm, because the um, Saturday, February 1st, it blew up Sunday, I read the, that 600,000 people were celebrating in the Middle East, and by Monday is when I first saw the reports that there were two astronauts and a cosmonaut on the space station. I hadn't been tracking the space station like most people. You know, it's, it takes a disaster. You kind of realize, oh, my gosh, there was somebody out there. And, uh, and I realized those the, that, um, that experience of being Americans and Russians up there at the time when Russia was, you know, really actively looking to contradict any of this invasion stuff and uh, a lot of tenseness there and wondering if that was what was filtering into these guys' minds. And they're so it's I'm reading the Internet in a way that I never had before because I was so curious. It just drove me to see all these NASA.com, Space.com things and you'd see these transcriptions. And so you're not seeing their faces. I just saw the words. And you see that there's subtext under there. There's a lot of this, you know, we're, we're doing very well. Um, we regret the loss, but, you know, we're running our space program. And you, you feel that sense of this is our mission, and that's somewhat like military operation, too. I mean, they all operate on similar codes, acceptable risk, acceptable loss, you know, is a science part of the science exploration and as part of a military exploration and and drawing finding that line where things are acceptable and where they aren't one of the themes was uh one of the studies was the effect of long-term weightlessness could a mission go to the mars what would happen to the human being what would happen to the biology and and i thought what are the effects of a long-term engagement in a war i mean you know it's there's a parallel there in a way it affects everyone yeah. in unexpected ways yeah, yeah. Um, I was struck by this term, you know, freedom from gravity can cause great decay in human systems. Uh, you know, yeah, yeah. I think freedom from, you know, the, the idea of war 
you know, is very rousing. You know, it's there's something animal about it. And then, you know, instead of sending your son off to college, you know, you're saying goodbye or something at the at the airport or something. And it's just it's. Let alone the effect on children growing up in that environment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When you uh, when you work with these, uh, when you, when you met the astronauts for the first time, what was your, your your sort of intuitive take on them, having sort of had them in your head for a long time? Well, you know, I I I've been working really hard on a couple of things. I was doing a movie same time as this play. It was started. It was an insane schedule, and it feels like I'm getting good at about two hours of sleep a day. You know, and so I and I had a day off, and I went to Houston, and it's you know, you know dithering away about how nice it was to meet them and everything. And they really didn't need to hear any of that. They, they're very modest and everything. And, uh, and you know, they, it, they took me around the simulation of the shuttle and the simulation of the Soyuz. And, and uh, their descent was incredible. I mean, they were the first Americans to ever return in a Russian Soyuz capsule. And it was newly designed. The comm system hadn't been at all tested. And the Columbia was lost 16 minutes from home. And 16 minutes from their attempt to reentry, they lost communications with them. And they thought, this same thing is happening. And what was happening was that they went into a ballistic descent. So there's these huge pressures that cut the plane. The Soyuz normally goes through atmosphere a lot more pressures than what American astronauts usually a 2 Gs. 4Gs of Soyuz, these guys were spiking to 9Gs, which is barely survivable, you know, and this is what I was, I knew when I was reading all those transcriptions of what they were saying at the press conferences, I knew that, you know, when they say things like, our eyes got very wide. (laughs) (laughs) Something was going on there. And, you know, they said, come here, uh, sit here. This is where Nikolai Badarin sat. So I sat in the middle of the Soyuz and my knees were into my teeth. And Don Pettit was right next to me, curled, and, and, and Ken Bowersack's curled. We're in this thing that's smaller than the inside of a Volkswagen bug. And we are in there for a half an hour as they describe the whole return to Earth. And I was like, phenomenal experience. I never expected it to happen. And, um, you know, so that whole, because it, it was very psychedelic. I mean, there's pieces of metal that are changing temperature, super high heat, heating, you know, uh, 12, 14,000 degree temperatures. And instead of the, you know, like, you know, you're sitting in a plane and it's raining and the and the beads of water are going diagonally across the window. The, they had beads of molten metal that were bright orange, just kind of moving slowly across the window as they were like going through. So when you get back to the theater and you sit and you look at the space, <laughs> and you think, how can I, how can I simulate this or suggest it in some way? Yeah, yeah. I, I, and a lot of it is I, I. Uh, you know, I, I do it. Uh, the, the literalness of it is really hard in the theater. You don't. It doesn't. It seems to diminish everything. You know, so you can't. As much as sometimes you have these kind of instincts for behavior and and all that, you you can't really do it. You have to go to poetic poetry or irony or you know some kind of iconographic thing. So, the breathing is something. You know, I've been kind of now listening to these tapes of people coming through at these pressure levels. Well, I I haven't been. I listened to one that day. They played the 
the um, Badaran was calling out the, what the pressure forces were. And they had, and Don Pettit said, come here, listen to that. I have this on my computer. And it's this, you know, like 60 seconds when you hear, you know, and you just, and, and then Ken Bowersox is amazing and, and with Russian, he said, five, five and a half, seven, you know, and you just, you see these things going on in these people. And so that kind of thing I want to bring into the theater. I think those things are, you know, kind of um, part of what the theater can do that maybe film sometimes has the, that voice, but then there's, you know, 10,000 other pieces of stimulus in the image of a cinema. And in theater, you can strip it all away and find those most elemental things. And that's what I wanted to kind of like uh, get down to the, to the, uh, you know, to the small elements of it. And then how do you shift between that? Or maybe, the, maybe that's just the professional life, uh, working on a film. What was the film you were working on at the same time? Oh, it was. It's a movie called Bottle Shock. It's about wine. And I, <laughs> you people are crazy for wine. It's amazing. It's just. Uh, it's like a whole introduction. You know, I. I. I I've been a, sl a slacker in the wine world. You know. What kind of what, what what role do you play? Well, this is a true story, and it's based on the 1976 tasting that was done. You know, there was a British guy. Stephen Spurrier, who said, uh, you know, I, I'm selling wine in France, and I'd like to stage this thing in 1976 uh, uh, that has California wines up against French wines in a blind tasting. And, you know, he came to California, and he started looking around, and he ran into this guy named Jim Barrett, who had Chateau Montalena. And Barrett's kind of crusty, and, you know, he's, he's thinking, you know, this, this, this Brit and these French people are going to embarrass us on our birthday. They're, it's a stacked deck, you know, it's not going to happen, but they eventually, so I play Jim Barrett, and Alan Rickman plays Stephen Spurrier, and uh, so we have this kind of uh, thing, and then I have a son that's played by a Chris Pine, good actor, and, and uh, the Rachel Taylor, who's in the Transformers, she plays uh, this young girl that's in there, and so it's a kind of a great classic kind of Kind of not innovative storytelling, but just good uh, a, a good tale well told kind of movie. And 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 what a sort of dichotomy to be in the two worlds. Yeah, yeah. It, uh, <laughs> uh. <laughs> they, they, uh, oh, yeah. That's that's our satellite time. They're about to go out. I know. Such a, such a sexy goodbye. <laughs> Uh, the uh, Expedition 6 opens tonight in previews and formal opening on the 15th at the, uh, the Magic Theater. Bill Pullman created and directed it. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you. Thank you. That's today's West Coast Live. We'll be back next week. Safe journey. We're at WCL.org. This is Edge Thompson. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Try out others from West Coast Live right here, and we look forward to having you in one of our audiences one day. For more information, wcl.org.